the great thing about a last sermon is that you can say whatever you want because what are they going to do, fire you? <laughs> I can't explain how grateful um, we are. It's, um, it's been a privilege beyond our imagination. And uh, it's hard to leave. It really is. We must, um, we need to go. We believe God is pointing us there. Um, it's going to serve in a number of capacities. One is to minister to the church there that has begun and um, a group of people that are very hungry for God's word. It put us closer to our son-in-law and grandchildren. Many of you know that our daughter passed away this last April, and it puts us in close proximity to them to minister there, and as well as other grandchildren that we have in the area. Patty's parents are, are uh, in that elderly time of life and also need some attention, so there's a number of factors that have brought us to that, but it doesn't make it easy to leave these precious people here at Fellowship Bible Church. Please consider us Fellowship Bible Church West. Um, their leaders have come out already two times. They've consulted with every one of our pastors on ministry issues, and they've implemented everything that they learned when they were here. And uh, Mark um, has indicated that you'd like us to keep communication. I'll have even a role on Zoom and a seminar coming this fall that I'll be coming back for. And so we want to keep the connection with FBC, and please keep us in your prayers as we go to... Uh, McPherson, Kansas. Um, anyway, we're not leaving for a while, though. Um, we'll be around for about six weeks in the area. Be serving at Woodstock Church the entire month of August yet. But this is our last time to be here at uh, Fellowship Bible Church, Winchester. So it's our great privilege, and I can't tell you how grateful I am to um, our staff, our elders. But I can't say that without especially pointing out Mark Carey. Um, Mark and I uh, have known each other for for um, 40 years. And believe it or not, when Patty and I moved to Dallas to go to seminary, he was the very first person I met. Now you talk about the sovereignty of God. I, did, I called him Mark for four years at seminary, decades after that, and then they came moved here and I called him boss. So he's been a great one. Just a, I can't speak highly enough of the opportunity to work with him and so, so grateful for the opportunity he has availed to, to, to us and to me. Our family is here. We have four kids, one in heaven. As one man said, I've got one in the land of the living and three in the land of the dying. And I understand what that means now. Um, they're all here, our son-in-law, 15 grandchildren. They'll be in the second service. We're going to try to reserve <laughs> these seats here for them. Um, I'd love to introduce you to them. A few... Uh, They'll be coming in in between services, I'm sure. But anyway, they're here um, to 
support their dad and their grandpa the last Sunday here at FBC Winchester, and they came from all around the places where they live. So, anyway. Well, let me have a word of prayer, and then we're going to get into our examination of a, of a couple of matters today. And even before I pray, let me share with you that today is not really an exposition of a passage of Scripture. Um, we're certainly going to look into a couple of passages in particular, but when you preach a last message at a place, at least as a staff person, um, I decided to share my heart. I decided to share with you what is probably the most burning thing on my heart and mind for the body of Christ at large. And so that's what we want to focus in on today, and um, we'll do that here. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege it's been to serve here in the official capacity, and I pray that our relationship will just continue on as churches, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that um, today as we consider some matters of great importance in light of the day that we live in, that you will guide my words and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all understand that we're living in changing times. Um, changes that are happening so rapidly, it's hard to believe and it's hard to keep up. We live in a changing culture. The day that we drove into this parking lot in a big U-Haul truck in August of 2004, and now another truck is going to head back to that same area of the country 17 years later, and I was reflecting upon the changes just in our culture alone that have happened in less than two decades, and it's astounding. It's astounding that life has changed immensely. Um, the discussion matters of our society, I would have never dreamt would be what they are today, but they are. Back in the 17th and 18th centuries, the world experienced what is called the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a movement that came out of Europe that emphasized intellectualism and philosophy. Neoclassicism, communism, and liberalism traced their ideas back to the age of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment advocated individual liberty, religious tolerance, but what it did do is it spoke against dogma, the dogma of the church. That the church could not say what was right and wrong, the individual determined what was right and wrong, and good and bad, and true and false. The church did not have the right to force itself upon people what they believed, and they spoke highly against the dogma of the church. The, the book of Ecclesiastes, the ancient sage, says this, there is nothing new under the sun. 
Today, that same thinking is now called woke. To be woke. Josh McDowell was in the area a few weeks ago. In fact, he spoke in Woodstock, and I attended his seminars. During the break time, I approached him and asked him a question about a paper that he wrote. I asked him if I could duplicate it and if it was copyrighted or not, and he said, boy, duplicate as much as you want and distribute it as far and wide as you want. But then he initiated more discussion. And he talked with me a little bit about critical race theory. In fact, that's what the paper was about that he wrote that I wanted to duplicate. And he shared some additional thoughts. If you know Josh McDowell, he's a great apologist, has been through history, been on hundreds of college campuses throughout the decades, and has been a defender of the Christian faith. He had a serious look on his face. He realizes the times that we are in. Dr. Andy Woods, a expositor and theologian that I have come to respect, I have some of his work in my office, watching a YouTube video on his presentation on what is critical race theory, he said something that is of great concern to me, and that is that Christians take some of the thoughts that are in today's woke culture and they mix Jesus in a little bit to make it, to make it uh, palatable, to make it acceptable. They put Jesus in on some of these thought patterns, but... My concern today is not to share with you my concern for our culture. I have concern about our culture, there's no doubt. I'm concerned about what my grandchildren that will be in this front row, all 15 of them will be here this morning. I'm concerned about the impact of our culture in their lives. But what I'm most concerned is Christians being able to discern their culture for Christians to be adequately equipped to understand the day and age in which we live. I think of the men of Issachar in the Old Testament, it says, the men of Issachar understood their times and knew what Israel ought to do. My question is, do we? Do we at Fellowship Bible Church in Winchester and in Woodstock, Grace Bible Church in McPherson, Kansas, are we ones that understand that changing culture in a way that God would want us to understand it. California says there's 18 states in this country not to do business with because they're not woke. They're not enlightened. They don't have the knowledge that they do. They don't have the awareness of the issues at stake. The definition of being woke is this, and I quote from Merriam-Webster, aware of and attentively active to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. There are many resources today that people can go to to be up with the times, so to speak, to become more enlightened about the culture. Podcasts are innumerable that are available articles, websites, and the list goes on. But today I want to talk with you about a source that it exceeds them all. It really helps you to understand your times. 
It's a source that will enable you to understand every issue at stake today that's being brought up in the media, that's being brought up in the university campuses, that's being brought up in cities such as Portland and Chicago and Seattle and many other places. It's a resource that actually it will give you what you need to know. It'll awaken you. It'll make you woke. It will enlighten you. And it's the same resource that's been in existence for thousands of years doing the same thing. And it's this book. Today, the world is trying to figure out sexuality, genderism, racial issues. What's good leadership? What is love? These are matters that are scratching people's heads now. You go to an airport, which I do fairly frequently, and you take a double look when you walk in to the bathroom of who is going to be there, what the sign says on outside in the hallway. You're careful with every little word that you speak lest you be accused of being a racist or a sexist or all kinds of other labels that you can be tagged with. We live in a culture that is so rapidly changing we can hardly keep up with it. Each day there's new letters added to the, to the string of letters already existing of describing people of who they really are and who they claim to be and how they got their identity. Words don't mean anything anymore because words are defined individually rather than corporately. So what one man or woman defines a word to be isn't necessarily going to be how it's defined across the board. So communication breaks down. That's the world that we live in today. I listen to Al Mohler's podcast each day. It's called The Briefing, and he addresses just current issues. And I have a 30-minute drive back to Woodstock from here every day, and that takes about 30 minutes to listen to the podcast. I told Patty, I, I come home depressed every night after <laughs> listening to it. But he's current. He knows what's going on, and he awakens Christians to the realities of what we face. Where's the answer, and how do we live, and how do we understand? And I'd like to read to you a passage of Scripture today that is the answer to that. It's a warning passage, and I'll share with you the reference in a moment, but I just want you to listen very carefully. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The author is very pointed with his readers. You're still drinking out of a bottle when you ought to be cutting into a steak. 
you're still dealing with the very basics of Christian truth. And by now, you ought to be in the depths of understanding the details of God's Word. In fact, you ought to even be teachers of these things by now, but instead, you continue to be drinking out of the bottle rather than eating off of the plate. And then he says this, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who have by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who are mature are eating off of that plate. They're eating solid food. They're becoming more and more skilled in the Word of God. They understand how it is to be read, how it's to be interpreted, how it's to be studied, and how it's to be applied. They understand more than the basic principles or the basic elementary truths of Christian truth, and they've gone much deeper into it and are able to communicate it, and they live it, but in the process of all of that happening, they have become people that are very discerning. They see things in the culture, they see things in life, and they're able to discern what's right from wrong, what's good from evil, what's true from what's false. These things are not questioned by them because they are in the solid food of God's Word. They understand the distinctions that God has set. They understand the parameters that God has put on humanity. They understand the consequences when man tries to break through those parameters and redefine who is who and what is what. They see these things instinctively because they are skilled in the Word of God and their discernment is on high alert. They are the most astute and woke people in the United States of America. They are the most enlightened people in the world. Most of them don't have PhDs. Most of them are not considered to be intellectuals. But they are people who are eating the solid food of God's Word and are able to understand the times in which they live and know what we ought to do. That's my prayer that this church continues in. That as the pastors, particularly as Mark Carey, but others who are teaching the Word and the elders and other people in leading small groups, that we be a people of solid food. Going beyond just the basics, going into the details, that people can be raised up who know good from evil, right from wrong, and true from false. In the book of 2 Timothy, on the eve of his execution, the Apostle Paul urges Timothy these words. A workman does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. He urges Timothy that as he's departing from this world, as Paul is leaving this world, he's telling this man who's going to be remaining, study the scriptures diligently, get into the weeds, get into the details, and learn how to handle it accurately. Because it is so true what Andy Woods has said. Christians today are mixing a little bit of Jesus into the cultural thinking trying to justify their viewpoints 
but their usage of the Word of God is anything but accurate. It's abusing the Scriptures. It's, it's using the Scriptures for their own advantage, but they're misquoting God Himself. The words handling accurately in the New Testament when Paul says is great, basically the Greek word orthotamunta. We get the word orthodontics from it. It means to set straight. It means to put it in the place that it's supposed to be. Every passage of Scripture only has one totally, absolute, correct interpretation. It's our job to figure out what that is. It doesn't have multiple interpretations. It can't be used any which way a person desires it to be used. God has an intended meaning in every passage. The human authors of the Scriptures have one intended meaning of every given passage. It's our job to figure out what it is, but it takes work. That's why Paul says, a workman handling accurately the word of truth. We want our orthodontist to take our teeth that might be crooked and set them straight the way they're supposed to look. We take the Word of God and we seek to use it in a way that we understand what God says, not to try to make Him say what He hasn't. There was a people on the platform, a group of four people that were talking about current issues and two were allowed to speak and the two of them were not. They didn't have the right to speak except to ask questions. And the passage was quoted to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, out of James 1. That's the passage that was used to justify that format. These two can talk, those two can't. I thought to myself, what an abuse of that verse. That verse isn't talking about that at all. It's not addressing that opinions can't be spoken or addressed or talked about by certain people and other people can and other people can't. It's a passage about trials. It's a passage that teaches us that when we're experiencing hardships, we're very quick to speak and we're slow to listen to God. That's what it's about. It's not about the way in which it was being used. I think probably the key way in which Scripture is being misused today is defining love. Babes do not understand what biblical love is and what it isn't but people who eat solid food do because if you don't adopt the viewpoints that the culture is seeking to force down our throats you will be told and you will be considered a person who lacks love you're a hateful person you have hate speech you don't love. Jesus loved, after all. Discerning people understand the difference. They understand the erroneous nature of that argument. They can pick it out as quick as anything. But babes don't. Babes don't see the difference, and they swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Folks, when you have a surgeon that's going to cut open a part of your body, do you want that surgeon to have studied well? 
Do you want that surgeon to know the details and the intricacies of the human body and how to make an incision and what to do with his hands or her hands when they get inside the issues that they're dealing with? Do you want them to be very precise? Do you want them to be very accurate? Of course we do. I like it that my pilots are very precise. <laughs> I like it that my surgeons are very precise. I like it that my pharmacist is very precise. We need to realize that Christians need to be very precise with the Word of God and can understand when it's being used wrongly and can understand when it's being used rightly dividing the word of truth, Paul said. In that same book that Paul said that to Timothy on the eve of Paul's execution, he also said this. He writes that book from imprisonment from the worst type of imprisonment not a house imprisonment now which he had earlier but now in the depths of darkness he writes this epistle before he is executed and in it in chapter 2 he says this I suffer as an evildoer you remember Elijah in the Old Testament he was speaking against the sins of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was God's spokesman of what is right and wrong, and he was confronting the prophets of Baal and this horrible worship that I won't even get into the beginnings of how despicable Baal worship was. But Elijah came in as God's voice. He came in to set things straight. He came in to save a people. He came in to deliver a nation. And when wicked King Ahab meets Elijah on the robe, the words that come out of Ahab's mouth are this, Oh, you troubler of Israel. You're the troublemaker. You're the problem. We get rid of people like you, and we're, we're going to do well. Elijah, you're the, you're the troublemaker. You're the problem. And hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul, in a dungeon prison, says, I suffer as an evildoer. And folks, if you are discerning our culture biblically, and God gives you the guts to live accordingly and graciously speak accordingly, I guarantee you, you will suffer as an evildoer. You will be one accused of hate speech or hateful attitudes because of your refusal to embrace certain lifestyles. You will be the troubler of our culture you will be the problem, not the solution. And ultimately, their goal is the best thing is to get rid of troublemakers and to be able to live as we want to live, as in the days of judges where every man did what was right in his own eyes. My friends, keep this book front and foremost and study it in detail.
support those who are teaching the scriptures on the second floor, those who are teaching from this pulpit, those who are teaching in your living rooms, that they examine it thoroughly. The importance for those who are able and can even to go into Greek and Hebrew and those types of things, that's not, that's not vain academic intellectual pursuit. That's precision Bible study. Because the more precise, the more detailed, the more understanding, and the more understanding, the more accuracy and the more to be able to equip God's people with that one right interpretation that's God's, that he seeks for us to know and to share. Don't concern yourself whether or not you are woke according to the culture's definition, but totally concern yourself if you are awakened and enlightened by eating the meat and the solid food of this book. That you are fed that from this church. And may this church continue to feed that. But also that you seek it yourself in your own personal study. We live in a changing culture, but here at Fellowship Bible Church, but every other church in the world as well, we're also facing a changing church. I've been gone, Patty and I have been in Woodstock for nearly a year now, and we come back on a Sunday like today, and we see a lot of familiar faces, but we see a lot of unfamiliar faces. And that's good. So glad that new people are coming. There's an entrance door, but there's an exit door too. People move away, job transfers, changes in life. Sometimes they choose a church that would better minister, and that's okay. But um, we live in a changing church. But one thing that seems to rattle us is the change of leadership. I have heard often in the last number of years, oh boy, Mark Carey's hair is getting gray, Den Hartog's getting gray, Morrison's gray, Charlie Spencer, what he's got left on top is gray. <laughs> what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen? Only God knows the time frame of things. I'm involved in a change right now. And, but I'll tell you something, there's more changes to come. And if you don't like that message, I can't change it because leaders come and leaders go. That's just the way life is. But I want to leave today on this note. I want to leave today with a message from God about a changing church especially as leadership changes. Elders come and elders go. Things are always changing. In this same book, the writer says, remember those who rule over you and have spoken the word of God to you. Talking about church leaders. 
whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Zane Hodges writes on this verse, quote, Remember your leaders perhaps refers to former leaders who have now passed. The outcome of the way of life should be contemplated with good effect, and the readers were to imitate their faith. Those leaders were gone now, but Jesus Christ, of whom they spoke, remains continuously the same. Because the next verse says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He stays. You don't have to worry about his resignation. You don't have to worry about his exiting. He stays. Throughout the last years, I have been privy to attend some of our elders' meetings. Sometimes I have worked late in the office and I have peeked through the window as they have gathered around the big conference table in the administrative area. And every time that they are to begin discussing things around 6.30 or 6.45, they have all arrived at 6 p.m. for the purposes of prayer. And I've been privy to hear some of those prayers as they face different issues in this church, as they seek to lead this body of believers. Issues that deal with some individuals, issues that deal with ministry programming, issues that deal with decisions that have to be made, financial decisions and issues that come up. And I see them going to God because they see him as the chief shepherd of this church. And once again, he stays. We come and go. But he stays because he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Longtime elder, now with the Lord, Bob Harriman gave a quote that is on the bottom of every meeting to this day on the sheet of the agenda for that evening. And Bob left with these words, focus on only the issues that have a spiritual dimension, then find out where Christ is on these things. Plug into the chief shepherd and let him guide and direct. As humans, we're bound to make errors. But to seek his wisdom, his guidance points us on the right path. So today, as I say goodbye to you, at least as a staff person, I want to share with you two thoughts. The culture's changing. Let this book penetrate through your minds that you can discern it. That you can discern what's error and what's true. What's good from what's bad. What's right from what's wrong. Because solid food is for the mature who can then 
by reason of use, have their senses trained to discern good from evil. You want to be woke? This is the answer. This is the answer. But we also live in a changing church. And all of us need to be reminded today. Things do change. And they'll continue to change. And there's more changes coming, I promise you. (laughs) It's just the way life is. But there's one who doesn't change. He stays. We have him always. Because just before he ascended into heaven, can I tell you one phrase that he said? And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. He stays. May I conclude by reading the final words of this epistle, the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.